0: Backseat's musical podcast. Between 1978 and 1987, The Cars released six studio albums. Five of them went platinum. Four of them went multi-platinum. And I'm not even counting The Cars' greatest hits, which on its own sold 6 million copies all by itself. They had 13 singles crack the U.S. top 40, four of which reached the top 10. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2018. And most importantly, they're from my home state of Massachusetts. In the summer of 1978, I was 12 years old. I was listening to a radio station in Providence, Rhode Island. It was a rock station that played the usual assortment of 1970 standards, Zeppelin, Skinner, the Eagles, other things. It wasn't the sort of place that you'd expect to hear any of that crazy new wave stuff that you were hearing about on TV. But there it was, June 6, 1978. The DJ, whose name I don't remember, introduced the premiere of the debut single by a band from Boston known as The Cars. The song was just what I needed, both literally and figuratively. It was freaking awesome, and I had it swirling in my head for weeks. And the very first thing out of the speakers when I heard that song was the guitar of Elliot Easton. From there, they blasted out a laundry list of enormous radio hits, really becoming the first quote-unquote new-wave band to strike huge success in the United States. Good times roll. Let's go. Shake it up. You might think. Magic, drive, and many, many more. While people may choose to focus on the late Rick Ocasek or the late Benjamin Orr as the leaders of the band, do not, and I repeat, do not underestimate the unbelievable talents of their lead guitar player, Elliot Easton. Don't think Elliot's one of the all-time greats? Listen to the guitar on the song Candy-O. Listen to the guitar solo on My Best Friend's Girl. I mean, really listen to it. It's not just some fancy guitar flourish crammed into the middle of a New Wave synthesizer band. Elliot Easton is a brilliant and often overlooked guitar player. Even some of the greatest guitar players that you know, the greatest guitar players in the world, have said... Damn, that guy is good. Elliot has just released a brand new album with his band, Empty Hearts, featuring drummer Clem Burke from Blondie, Wally Palmer of the Romantics, and Andy Babuke from the Chesterfield Kings called the second album. It freaking rocks. It is a real pleasure to talk to my guest today, Elliot Easton from The Cars on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Elliot, it's nice to talk to you.
1: No no problem at all my pleasure. <laughs> so so uh sorry about the mix up man.
0: No you know, actually uh I really figured out what happened. The mix up was not on your end or on oh. anybody on uh, you know dealing with your publicity. The uh, the real problem was the guy who set it up on our end. And and, and I don't want to point fingers but his name is Leonard and uh <laughs> Leonard is uh, is the one who is completely at fault for the screw up. But I'm I'm I, I appreciate the, your flexibility and, and I appreciate you, you you joining me today. Real, it's a it's not a, a problem at all. Not a problem. It's a real pleasure. Like like I said, I I, uh, I did talk to Clem Burke a couple weeks ago about the about the Empty Hearts album. I think it's great. It, it's it's such a fun record. It sounds terrific. I mean, I think you and Clem really stand out. Uh well, and, thank and, you. and I say that not just because I legitimately like the album. Um, if if I were talking to Wally or Andy, i I'd probably say the same thing to them.
1: What, that Clement, that Clement Elliott really stand out? No,
0: that those two stand out, and and you guys are slagging around. <laughs> no, but it really, it really is a great album. It's so much, it's a, it's a lot like the, the first one, but I think it sounds just, it's got a little bit more, more punch to it. It was, it was great.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a, it's trippier for sure, and it's like, you know what I mean? It's got like more different style, stylistic things and textures, yeah. There's like some psychedelic stuff, and. Some 12 string Rickenbacker and, and different things, you know. Uh, like, you know, we just kind of moved further out in different directions. There's one song, uh, uh, the one called Death by Insomnia, that's kind of like a cold turkey plastic Ono kind of thing, almost. Yep. Uh, you know, it, there's a lot of different. Uh, there's uh, Well, Look at You, which is like almost like a Memphis soul song, like a T and MGs kind of thing.
0: I like, I like that one. I like The World's Gone Insane uh, and The Best That I Can. Those are also two good tracks, too.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there's, there's some good stuff on there, and and like I said, you know, I think it shows some growth in the band from the first album, where and you know, which is organic. It's just sort of like when we first formed the band, you're still finding your feet and seeing like what everybody's influences are and how they'll mesh with yours and what kind of sound you come up with together. But after being in the having the band for a few years and playing shows and being, you know. Traveling together and, and meals together and you know laughing together and just really sort of really becoming a band instead of just a concept, then you know you can kind of grow with it when you see where everyone's coming from and I think we did that on this record. You know, I, you know, if 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 the first album it, it would be sort of like a as an analogy but bad one, let's say the first album is Meet the Beatles, so this one is more like Revolver. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was, you, I was I was I be- know what I mean though. It's kind of oh, yeah. like you listen to the whole thing from beginning to end instead of like a, like a, if unlike like typical modern albums are just songs. This one flows and every song is where it is in the sequence for a reason and it you know, it kind of you start off at point A and we we hope to send you you know, set you down at point B, you know, a little trip,
0: you know. I was I was going to ask you about uh you know, bands that, you know, have a, have a chemistry uh, together, do you have any experience in that, or is this? Is this <laughs> that... Yeah, just a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, I, a... I in my intro of the uh, of the podcast that I I mentioned something that I remember very specifically. You, you you mentioned the Beatles, and and I know you know for a lot of people they remember the they remember the Beatles being on Ed Sullivan. One of those things that I remember, and I remember it. I, I, I remember it like it was yesterday, even though it was thirty two years ago. I'm 12 years old in 1978, and I'm listening to a radio station in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, I grew up in Massachusetts, but we were close enough to the Rhode Island border that everything we watched on and, and listened to was in the, is in Providence. And I remember right. the, the disc jockey specifically saying this is the debut of a band from Boston, and they played uh, uh, just what I needed. And it was one of those things where I wasn't the only one to hear it. It was a song that was in my head literally, literally for weeks. And I remember asking, you know, kids in school, like, have you heard of the cars? And their re- reaction was, you're listening to that new wave punk shit. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is stuff. You know, I don't know if I was the only one, but you know, back then, you guys really were the first quote unquote new wave band to be commercially successful in the U.S. That had not happened. Back in 1978,
1: I suppose if you adhere to the to these journalistic tags like new wave and punk and heavy metal or whatever tag you want to put on, I mean that's we never said we're a new wave band or even really understood what that was about or cared. We were just a band, and that was just how the five of us played together. Uh, I certainly wasn't no garage punk rocker. My mom was a Juilliard trained singer, and I started at three with guitar. And she started me out with Gershwin and, and the best music possible. So, I, I it, it wasn't a DIY ethic for me—like grab a guitar and like start screaming into a mic. I, I right. was already, you know, pretty good by that point. And so, I never really related to that sort of, which seemed a little bit amateurish to me. Some of the punk stuff, and, and that's not where I was coming from. I just wanted it to be good.
0: <laughs> well, the thing about it is, you know, I think anyone who really you. Know, who, if you listen to the singles on the surface, you say, "Wow, these are really great songs, but if you really you know dive into the song and listen to what each individual individual member is playing, and you pay careful attention to the kind of performance that you're giving in those songs it's like it's very clear this is not you know this is not just some new wave guitar player just you know filling in the cracks between uh keyboard flourishes. this is a guy who no, clearly knew it, it what he wasn't was doing
1: that and 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 the other thing that that occurs to me about the cars, and I think it's also like one of the reasons that the music has endured, is I think a lot some a good part of it has to do with the lyrics, because I you know I think of Rick as a poet, and and unlike a lot of new wave songs, I I think that the cars and and, and through Rick's lyrics, always um, sort of explored more the dark side of the human experience. Yeah, and, you know. But it also at, but there about was, relationships and things like that, and like so you know, we weren't walking on sunshine, if you know what i mean <laughs> I do, I do because' that's when I think new wave, you know, and that's not what we were
0: no, it wasn't and and it was a darker image, and when you think about it, the, you talk about endurance, so you know here I am working at a classic rock station and have been at you know in Springfield for twenty five years and yeah. you know thirty years in this business you there are very few new wave songs that have endured or aged as well as the cars. And I think what you're saying holds holds true to that. And also the fact they're just well written songs. You know, they, yeah, they just they just hold up and they they hold up, you know, so much better than say uh, a The Commissar or, you know, Video Kill the Radio Star or any of those other things that came out approximately about the same time.
1: Yeah, well but well, like I said, we would never try to be that. You
0: know, we never, that was never part of who we were anyhow. Yeah. So. When you. What's <laughs> When you, when you joined, when, are, are you doing all the dishes now or just uh, just some of them?
1: <laughs> no, you can't even believe what's going on.
0: They're, build, they're building a house next door to me. Right. And they turned all the
1: water off in the house. Mm. So I didn't know that. And I used the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> and it won't, won't flush. So, the, the, the pool maintenance guy came, was, just came by, and he just gave me a tip. He said, take a bucket of water out of the pool and put it into the tank on top of the toilet, and pour it in. <laughs> so it'll flush, so you can you know get that nasty stuff down. So well, I, I am doing that
0: while I'm talking to I, you. I, you know what? I, I think that makes this even more important. No, I don't think you, I don't. When have you ever talked about a backed up toilet in an interview before? And make a coherent conversation. And exactly, Elliot. That's what's so perfect about this. <laughs> Absolutely. So I do want to go back to like the beginning of of the band. I knew that like. Uh, okay, re- just give me one more pour here. Sure, one go right pour. ahead. Right, we can hold on. Okay, let's
1: keep it it's <laughs> yeah I, I'll, re- I'll revisit this
0: after the interview. <laughs> <laughs> so when the oh, band, so when the band well, starts um, when the band starts you know and, and, and you guys go back uh, I think it was like 75 when you you guys started to really get together or and I know Rick and Ben had been performing together for quite a while before that when you yeah. first of all how did you get introduced to them how did how where where's your uh where's your first point in that uh, in the car story
1: where do i enter the story it's a funny thing um would have been around 75 76 and i had a roommate uh who was one of my closest friends in fact just passed away recently but anyway he answered an ad in the boston phoenix or the real paper one of those uh for a sound man that a band needed a sound man to do shows and to work the pa so he answered the ad and I didn't have anything do, doing that. And I, and I just went down with him to this gig and it was this band, Richard and the rabbits. And they were playing a Warner brothers party for fog Hat at a roller skating rink out near Lynn or something. Right. So, and they were the entertainment for this fog Hat Warner party. And, uh, so I went with, with Alan, my, 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 my roommate, and my friend and, uh, I, I was struck by the band. Uh, first of all, I was struck by the songs. I thought, this is the first local band that I'd heard that um, I thought I could picture these songs being recorded or that they were, like, you know, good, really you know good songs. Because you know how usually you see a local band, and the, you know, they do mostly, like, cover stuff, and then you go, okay, we're going to play an original now, and it usually is, you know, terrible songs or whatever. <laughs> but, um you know, Rick, Rick was writing songs that I could hear as like records, and it was the first time. And I, and and then I, you know, was li- looking at the band and the guitar player seemed to be coming from a little bit of a more fusiony place than I thought the songs needed, and this and that. And guitar players, you know, I could do that better, you know, <laughs> so he's, you know that kind of thing. Um, but but anyway, so Alan got the job doing sound for them, for Richard and the Rabbits, and. Uh, Eventually that brand broke up and Rick and Ben started singing as a duo in Harvard Square in a little pub called the Idler. And uh, just sitting on stools with an acoustic guitar and Ben with his bass and two mics. And and they were singing Rick songs and also things like um, Ace, How Long Has This Been Going On, Mm -hmm. and uh, Steely Dan, uh, Do It Again, I remember they used to do, and and quite a few of Rick's tunes. And what Alan, my, my, my roommate, would do is he'd since it was just the two of them you know like a pub setting he'd get the mics set where they needed to be and then he'd jump on stage and play percussion and congas with them because that's he'd love to do that (laughs) and all that time to make a short story long but not really but all that time he kept telling them about his roommate Elliot that you got to hear my roommate play. He's great he's amazing guitar player blah 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 really overhyped me you know (laughs) in a way so like when so I finally got a chance to go over to Ben's apartment, I think it was in Somerville, and uh, and sit with those guys with a couple of guitars and you know, just see if we had some common ground and see if we want to play together. So the first thing Ben says to me, sitting there sitting across from me with his arms folded, looking at me, he goes, All right, go ahead, play something amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was paralyzed I couldn't play it you know and someone says that to you you can't play at all <laughs> so we just kind of had some you know laughed and stuff and eventually everyone loosened up and we started playing and and you know they, they liked what I was contributing they liked my sound and, and that grew into the, the band Captain Swing right and yeah. uh, at, at that Greg was in Richard and the Rabbits then went off to go play with Martin Mull play sax and Martin Mullen is fabulous furniture. Right. Uh, so we got a different keyboard player in Danny Lewis, who now plays with um, Government Mule. And uh, we had a different journal and bass player. Ben wasn't playing bass in Captain Swing, he was just singing lead. Okay. And so we, we thought it was a pretty good band, and Max Ann at BCN was playing our demo just like she did later with the cars, and we were getting some attention. So we went down to New York to do one of those showcase gigs at Max's Kansas City for these big management companies like O'Coin and Lieber and Krebs, you know, that managed Aerosmith and uh, O'Coin had Kiss and later, I think Billy Idol. And, and so all these, you know, big time managers came and saw our show at Max's and they had some really, uh, a lot of criticism that they liked it. I mean, they, they said the songs are great, the band's good, but like the bass player looks like he should be the roadie for the grateful dead. And, the drummer is playing like he should be in the Mahavishnu orchestra and the songs (laughs) could be more concise and a little too jammy. And you need to get your visual image together and all these things. And we took that to heart and went back to Boston and thought about what they said and, and, and felt, you know, that they were right and changed some things and got David in on drums, put Ben back on bass, where he belonged and, uh, and got Greg back into the band, and um, and so that that evolved into the Cars.
0: So once you had everybody together, and and and, and David shouldn't be discounted too. He I mean, was in the Modern Lovers, which is a, you know one of the most you know important oh. bands to come out of Boston, maybe ever.
1: Um, I mean, if you want to talk about punk rock, those guys might have invented it.
0: Without without a doubt, cause, I mean that album was recorded what seventy two before it was i mean it was, it was it's years ahead of its time but
1: yeah yeah those john kale demos so yeah. the, the connection to the velvet underground even i mean they really they were seminal
0: but when you get all all the pieces in 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 play and everyone's together for the for the first time you talk about your know, chemistry with like the empty hearts do you feel that right away or did it take a, a a period of time before you say i think we've got exactly what we need here
1: no it felt good pretty early on We we we'd We'd been trying long enough with different combinations that we knew we had it right. And we knew, what we, we knew exactly what we wanted. We auditioned a bunch of different drummers, and then we realized that, you know, David was playing at the Rat with a DMZ and, and wasn't doing too much and uh, would be perfect. And, and that was like the missing piece of the puzzle.
0: I read, a, I read an article a few days ago, and the, the title was Why Elliot Easton is an Overlooked Guitar God.
1: <laughs> and, well, to me, that's oxymoronic, because if you're <laughs> writing articles like that, then I'm not overlooked.
0: No, absolutely, but if it's the first <laughs> article and you've been recording since 1978, you wonder, well, what have we missed here? But, i got to tell you, you know what?
1: <laughs> I've been hearing that for like 35 years or more, like one of the most underrated guitar players, and to be honest with you, I feel pretty rated at this
0: point. I, I think when you look that... Um, the, How much praise does a person need? I think when you've, I think when you've got five or six platinum albums under your belt, it's hard to be underrated by anybody. But one of the things I read about, and it, this may to me, this may actually answer that question, whether you were overlooked or not. I read a, a, a story that you had started off as a right-handed guitar player and then no, switched to left.: never, That didn't never. happen. That's nonsense okay good
1: uh, f- from there's pictures of me with my Mickey Mouse ukulele at three <laughs> 1956 and I'm playing lefty
0: because I was gonna say that sounds like someone who's really showing off to me <laughs> yeah that that's nonsense
1: <laughs> oh, I can't play righty
0: Good good that makes <laughs> that that makes every guitar player that's heard that rumor feel a whole lot better no, he,
1: well no, he's no more than they could play lefty I mean it's just <laughs> a mirror image thing and the way your brain is wired I can't do anything about it.
0: You, you guys went through a, a substantial period of time where it was almost like the, like the cars could do no wrong I and mean, it's like you know you release a single and all of a sudden it's it's you know in the top 10 or the top 40 or you're, you're doing videos and you're winning awards for them when you're yeah. when you're in the middle of something like that right. or, or even in in the early part of that trajectory when all of a sudden you're you're a small band in Boston then boom you're like the, one of the biggest bands in America. What was that like for the guys in the band? Was that did it change things? Did it change the dynamic between you guys, or did you just you just buckle down and, and and stick with it?
1: Well, you know, well, I was the youngest guy in the band by several years. In fact, Rick is was nine years older than me, so we were all at different places in our lives. Uh, speaking for myself, I was probably like every other, like you know. Ambitious kid, and I thought, like, if I could just get that piece of black plastic with the label on it, that everything in my life would be fixed. And so we made the piece of black plastic, and it did really well. But it didn't fix everything in my life. It was wonderful, but I, you know, you still go home alone at night. And so there was there was a little bit of that anticlimactic, you know, like 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 the Peggy Lee song. Is that all there is, you know? <laughs> but but at the same time, it was phenomenal. I mean, we were, we were achieving, I was achieving my childhood dreams, like from seeing the Beatles on the Sullivan Show at 10, and all these little new steps forward. And, at, you know, at that time, it seemed like something really cool was happening almost every day, like a new development in the band. It was all going up, you know, on, on the, the, the upswing, the way these things go. And so it was a very exciting time.
0: They also the the record company clearly gave you a lot of uh, confidence early on. I mean, they, I, I mean, you have Roy Thomas Baker producing your first couple of records. I mean, I, that guy had just come off of you know producing Bohemian Rhapsody, and then and then he's working on a small band from from Boston. How did I know. You, how did you land him, and 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 what was that relationship like?
1: Well, it was a fantastic relationship. We we did four records together, and I used to personally. Come out to LA anytime. Roy was uh, working with another artist, and he wanted some guitar playing. He'd call me because you know, after that he liked my playing, so I would do sessions for him and stuff. Um, it's true what you say. It's like the label treated us almost like an established act before we'd done anything. Um, you know, they got they, they got, uh, you know top shelf producer to come see us at Holy Trinity College in Worcester in a snowstorm. Like eight people there, and that was Roy, and and he, he said, "Oh, you know, he's like a Monty Python. He's goes, oh, hello, my loves. You know, let's go to. Would you like to go to London and make a rocket? And We're like, <laughs> "Yeah, we would. We'd never been anywhere really. No, I wasn't Had never been further south than D.C. Right. So next thing I know, we're in London recording at George Martin's Air Studios on Oxford Street, and. And George is coming in and listening and, like, lying on the sofa in front of the mixing board. And McCartney's in the next studio. And it was very exciting. Wow. Uh, Unbelievable. You know, kind of dreamlike. Plus, it was, like, uh, it was 77. And so King's Road was, like, exploding with color and, like, all the whole punk rock thing and the crazy, you know, purple mohawks and all that stuff walking down the street. (laughs) It was really an interesting time to be in London. Yeah. Yeah. So much fun
0: you know it's it's weird because you don't you don't see record labels necessarily acting in that way oh, is, anymore so what, yeah,
1: right, and so this is the thing like we hadn't sold any records yet, but they they put us up well they they let us go to London to make a record for one thing they 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 put us up in this beautiful house in in Mayfair in london, the, the wealthiest part of town with a couple, uh, I think from Malaysia, who cleaned and cooked. It was like, you know, like living like uh, we'd already made it or something. Yeah. And, you know, they had a, a, some cars for us to get to and from the studio, like Range Rovers and Jaguars and, <laughs> you know, all this kind of thing. And and we hadn't sold a record yet. So clearly the, the label was behind us. And the other thing that they never did, like – you know, I mean, it was such a cliche that even Tom Petty put in a, in a song lyric, I think, it, it, into the great wide open, or whatever, because you, the A&R man says he don't hear a single, right? <laughs> yep. You know that line? Yeah. And so we never had that. We never had anybody from the label sticking their head in the control room and seeing how the record was going, or if they heard a single or any of that kind of nonsense. They left us alone. And then the first record did so well that they they were wise enough to just keep leaving us alone because it was working, and so we never had that, and and most other bands did. And then later on, you would see like bands like Aerosmith and Cheap Trick or something like if like they weren't having hits, that all of a sudden the label has them writing with Diane Warren and Desmond Child, right? And you know the dreaded power ballad. Um, to me. The, car, the cars were very lucky that way because we really functioned without any label interference
0: you 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 mentioned Max Ann and yet full yet full support from the label which is at which and again in 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 real terms for most bands that just simply does not happen over a sustained period of time but
1: you mentioned right men- and at the same time leaving us alone it's just you know
0: great you you mentioned Max Ann and uh, on being on WBCN in Boston and you you want to talk about another industry that 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 has changed, you know, as someone who's been a radio for you know his entire you know adult life, I know that the, that the, the, the moments in which radio breaks an artist is like trying to find the Loch Ness monster or Bigfoot. You've, you've heard it's out there, but it's been a long time since anybody can seem, uh, can see a conferable case. Uh, and, and that's, and that's true of, of radio. What she did for, for you guys, and what other uh, radio stations did for other artists simply does not exist in the world anymore. Right. And that's a shame, I think.
1: I, I do, too. I mean, I, I don't think it could ever happen again because what happened with the cars, the way we got, like, the one little miracle that everybody needs, like a little break, is, you know, Max was playing um, Just When I Needed in Best Friends Girl demo tape uh, in heavy rotation on BCN, and it started getting reported in the radio tip sheets, like the Gavin Report. Yep. And, so, and so all over the country, radio stations are reading. And so when they'd look at the little box for BCN, there'd be a column for the artist, the album title, and the label. So let's say maybe it said um, Aerosmith, Get Your Wings, Columbia, uh, Elton John, Goodbye, Elvis Road, Rocket, MCA, the cars, just what I needed, tape. And so (laughs) our demo tape was getting reported on a national level. So A&R people uh, in New York were going, what the hell's going on up in Boston? Who are these guys, the cars? And how come the demo tape is in heavy rotation, enough to be reported on on these tip sheets? So... (laughs) A and R people started coming up to Boston to check out the band, and that was. I always give Max Ann credit for helping turn that little miracle, you know, that made it all happen. Because it it definitely, you know, it it definitely made made them like pay attention. Like this band with a demo tape is like, you know, in heavy rotation at one of the major FM stations.
0: Yeah, you know, I I was in college when uh, when Heartbreak City came out and heartbeat I rem- city heartbeat city heartbeat city you're right, and uh I remember you could not walk walk five feet without hearing something from that album, and uh it was it was like it was like the first album all over again, you know Mutt Lang, uh you know produced it, it's got you know singles oh, drive
1: are, you might think I magic black and I, can have, i know it's just when, Hello
0: again. When, when you're when you're putting together an album like that, and you've had a lot of success leading up to that, and then all this, you know you got a new producer, it's a new sound. These are, you know, a, a little bit more sophisticated, or at least more, you know, certainly more commercially sophisticated songs. There had to be an excitement about waiting for this thing to be released and into the public's hands, because you had to know that this thing was going to be maybe one of the biggest albums of your career.
1: Well, you know, you can say that, but if it, if you, you know, sometimes you can never be guaranteed of that. People make great records, and for some reason, whatever reason, they just don't capture the public's imagination. So I, I, I thought we made a good record, and I know we'd had success up to that point. I was hoping it would be a good record, but it was, it was, it really, it really did well. It, 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 it's like one, it, it, it's like the whole album is singles and B sides. The whole album practically came out as singles you know
0: without a doubt without a doubt
1: because whatever whatever was on the other side of you might think and magic and hello again and you know uh all those songs drive except whatever's on the other side of those singles is the rest of the record so (laughs) it's virtually the whole album came out that way so that's a big record
0: you guys uh wound up playing live aid 30 35 years ago it seems impossible that it's that long but it's been 35 years. It, 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 for anyone who saw like bohemian rhapsody and the, the 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 footage recreated in that film it had to be overwhelming to be on that stage and and performing and i've seen the i've seen the uh, the, the video on on youtube and you guys you guys crushed it like a lot of other people did what was what was your takeaway from that experience
1: it was just a really fun great day because Usually when you're on the road, you don't often get a chance to interact with so many musicians that you admire or band that you like. You know what I mean? And right. So it was really fun to see everybody hanging out and, and spending the day there. Um, also like the Us Festival, too, same kind of thing. Although this was on a global level and billions of people watching. I, I don't remember like feeling like... Uh, the immensity of the moment, or anything like that, because we're too when you when you're in it, you're too busy making sure your guitar is in tune and your <laughs> pedals are working, and and you don't have really time to to reflect too much. You just got to like do it, yeah. And then afterwards, you go, wow, that was something, you know. But <laughs> it probably doesn't do you a lot of favors to like dwell on the enormity of it just before you're about to play. Probably just make you you know freeze up a little
0: bit. It's 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 certainly been a weird year. Um... I'm sure for you personally, with uh, with Rick O'Kassick dying and you know, Ben Orr died, you know, several years ago. But yes. tell us about what Rick was 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 like, and what was it like to to work so close to him for so many years.
1: Well, it was great. Um, as I mentioned, he's you know a few years older than me, and so our relationship was almost like like a, like he was like my big brother in some ways, like a kind of look to him in certain for certain things that he would help me with advice about things. And uh, what I guess probably the, the, what might be the most surprising uh, to people who don't know Rick is how funny he was. And you would never expect that because his image is so cool and, 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 and detached and sunglasses and never smiles. and But he was literally one of the funniest people I've ever known and had a, a really offbeat, wacko sense of humor that, Greg and I would just be like in a puddle on the floor, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I smile when I think about it. And it was a, you know, it was a great band to be in. It was a great bunch of guys, and we had a great time. And we got to like like achieve our dreams of childhood, you know. Like we we got to stand at the top of the mountain together. Yeah. And so, a bond forms from that that you could never, no matter what happens. You can't go through something that that heavy and that big in your life, and not share a very strong bond with the people who you went through it with. You know,
0: when when you guys were inducted in in 2018, the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and you guys you guys had gotten together, you had played together, you put another album out by that time, and things yep. seemed to be you know that any issues that may have gone on seemed to have been you know swept under the table, and everything was 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 fine. But that—that's ex- right. But that experience, you know, kind of shows, you know, th- that you guys must have really cared for each other despite all the many things that can, you know, destroy a band too.
1: That's right. That's right. I think that's perfectly true. Um, and there was some healing, and there was some laughter, and some tears, and some bonding, and some clearing things up. And the, I guess the thing I'm most grateful about is. For that you know, if there's something to be grateful in in that, is that when Rick passed, I wasn't left with that horrible feeling that I wish I could have spoken to him one more time because there was some stuff I really wanted to ask him or wanted to tell him or anything like that. We really, we really aired everything out, and and uh, mm. you know, when he was, he went out with all of us loving each other. So that's really
0: good. Yeah, how many how many times do you see your know, band's get inducted into the Hall of Fame and they can't stand each other and it, you know those 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 arguments and those resentments just you know continue to the point where you miss out on that experience because the anger is just is doesn't allow you to appreciate the moment and the gratitude and the and the love that's being shown to you guys as as artists. It, it, to me yeah. that's always been a shame to see that happen.
1: Well, it, 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 it's a shame. I mean, well, some people are very cynical about getting inducted in the first place and don't think it means anything or rag on it and say it's just baloney and, you know, this one it should be in, they're not in, and what's this one doing in and all that. But just speaking for myself, uh, I wasn't cynical about it at all. It was really a, a, a moving experience for me. And, like, like, just one of those red-letter days in your life, I mean, my band got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, for fuck's sake. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, yeah, well, you deserve it. What could be bad it. about that? Yeah. Now we're in history, and people will always know the cars and 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 learn about the music when they go to the museum. And To me, I just couldn't really see a downside, and I was really proud and really happy that we were in. And, and, you know, as far as the other stuff, I just didn't choose to look at any potential negativity about it or that it's baloney or this or that. And the other thing I didn't, it didn't enter my mind.
0: Well, and you, and you deserved it. I mean, there are a lot of uh, bands that have sold a lot of records that, that are not in and, and for any yeah. number of reasons, but, but you guys are, you know, indisputable. I mean, what you guys have accomplished is, is you're definitely worthy of that kind of, kind of praise. I know the first time I went to the rock and roll hall of fame, I got there at 5:30 and it was closing at six. So I got to see the whole thing in half an hour.
1: You want to laugh? I I was in Paris once, and I got to the Louvre at at 4.30. It was about to close. And my wife and I jogged through the Louvre like, oh, there's the Mona Lisa. Okay, let's keep going. We ran through the Louvre to try
0: to see as much as we could. Same thing. It's like the 50-yard dash to the important stuff of your life.
1: Oh, look at that! There's uh, Chuck
0: Berry's guitar. Okay. Oh, <laughs> oh, look! It's David Bowie's shoes. Oh, there's Jimmy yeah. Page's pants. <laughs> right. I gotta, I gotta get to my car. Hopefully, they'll validate. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, always exit through the gift shop. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot, like I said, I I really do sincerely like the uh, the new album. Uh, Thank the, you. The second album, which I think is a very uh, creative title. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 if there's a third record, uh, I'm gonna put my uh, my two cents in for the title. Of uh, of that one, but it really is a very strong. Hey,
1: you know, record. you know, you know what's funny about that? Like, you know, the Beatles have the Beatles second album at Capitol, and and I don't, I, I, one of the guys they thought it was a good title. I, I had a title for the album, and it, I guess the guys didn't want to go for it. But because we wanted like the record to be kind of trippy and have a lot of sort of like you know ear candy and stuff in it, I wanted to call it Earphone Heads, like the line from the Stone song uh, yeah. "Live with Me." They got. Dirty Necks, they got Earphone Heads, This are 20th century. And uh, I wanted to call the album Earphone Heads. Um, but yeah, the other guys didn't think it was as brilliant as I did.
0: <laughs> well, it's like the band Chicago. They had like 13 records in a row, all in, in numerical uh, sequence. And then the 14th record, they actually give it a title. It's like, what the hell is this?
1: Who can, he, I know, who can like even follow? One, even the cover's the same. It's just a logo <laughs> with a number.
0: That's it. Uh, yeah. Elliot, it's a it's a real pleasure to talk to you. Best of luck with the uh, the record, and uh, hopefully we can talk again sometime. Because it's been a real it's been a lot of fun.
1: Thanks, Bax. It was fun to talk to you too.
0: All right, take care. Thank you very much.
1: Okay, man. Sorry about yesterday again.
0: Not a problem. And get your toilet fixed. <laughs>
1: you know I am. <laughs> All
0: right. Thanks, <laughs> okay. Elliot. Bye bye.
1: All right. Bye bye.
0: Okay, I just want to point out that I was just talking to Elliot Easton of the Cars while he was fixing his toilet. That may, have been a, that may have been a first. Thanks for listening. You can email me at any time at Bax at Rock102.com. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Spotify. Talk to you next time on Baxy's Musical Podcast.